Hi everyone. Before we get started, we just wanted to point out that this Dwarfcast was recorded on the 1st of August 2020, the day before our dear friend Seb Patrick passed away. We do mention Seb a couple of times during this chat, in a completely disrespectful way of course, as tradition dictates. It's not remotely unusual for his name to come up in any Dwarfcast, which just goes to show that he's never been far from our minds. We'll be talking more about Seb in our next Dwarfcast, and we'll be back at the end of this one to talk you through our more immediate plans. But before we hand over to our past selves, we also want to say a huge thank you to our listeners and readers for their patience, compassion and beautifully kind words over the last few weeks. You guys are the best. Now on with the Dwarfcast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan Dwarfcast commentary for series 11, episode 2, Samsara. Uh, continuing our troll through the Dave era, and uh, after the commentary there'll be another edition of your favourite section, Waffle Men, <laughs> uh, where we talk about any old Red Dwarf topic that you guys have suggested. But before that, uh, I should have already said <laughs> that joining me is Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. And that I am Ian Symes. Uh, that'll do. Uh, so if you want to sync up your recording of the episode to our commentary, then hit play at the end of these beeps. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Samsara uh, in the Pearl Pole was rated number 51 out of the lot, so just missing out on the coveted top 50. Uh, it was the second worst episode of series 11, according to the poll. Mm. Uh, no prizes for guessing <laughs> which one it beat. Yeah. But we'll come to that. Oh, there mm. it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad overall placing, really. I mean, it's in the it's in the BBC bubble, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, like, it, it, it's beaten down a few seven and eights, um, or yeah. maybe just eights. I mean, this opening scene is quite different from... It's very pretty. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, it's really it's really nice effects. I think they they choose wisely and show you know, they show they spent their money on stuff like that. Yeah. A big splodoosh into the ocean and then they keep some other stuff at more of a distance, sort of wisely spending their resources in the right areas. For it's example. Nice. Yeah. This is yeah. a lovely model shot as well, the dwarf. It's good. We've got some good mileage out of that one. That's a ten-era shot. Monopoly. Isn't it? Hmm, where'd they get that idea from? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of getting things from you, isn't there a lovely BIOS screen in the background here? Somewhere? Oh, there is. Yeah, yeah. This is this is yeah. the, this is the series they used our ship. People, uh, tons of eggs in that. If you want to have a look, there you go. Yeah. Um, Egg. People who attended Dimension Jump twenty twenty fifteen. <laughs> We'll remember all one of those. Of them. Uh, yeah, fifteen was the one that had all the like, massive amount of effort put into all the screens and stuff. Great. Well done, Dad. <laughs> and Jazz. The I'm just logging for later on because I'm always slightly confused. Uh, it's been a few years since I watched this. To be fair, uh, about the consequences of what happens later like good karma and bad karma etc so Lister is cheating at this point yeah yeah. so he's, he swipes the card that is concealed underneath and mm. that makes Rimmer lose 
And yes. Appar- uh, it makes him win. It makes Lister yeah. win yeah. rather than it makes, makes him yeah. lose. Yeah. Um, I like that Rimmer has a <laughs> perfectly blue matching dressing gown. Um, <laughs> of course he does. Yeah, it's not, that's a really nice yeah. detail. The, it's all um, handheld, this camera work. I tell you, like, I did... I did spot. I did sort of half watch this episode on mute a couple of months ago because it happened to be on Dave, and I was watching something else and just put the telly on mute. And you really notice how wobbly the camera is at times here. Mm. Yeah, and it's a it's an odd choice really to have because like handheld, it, it always reminds us of marooned. Yeah, you know, when you have the handheld cam. Yeah, uh, and it's uh, it's like you know it's denoting that it, it's something's gone wrong and it's a bit real and we're in being close to the cameras and it's a bit less polished so having that on the samsara later on would make sense when they're in peril but here's this is just status quo red dwarf everything's fine although they are being affected by the field at this moment but i uh, that's true i think the handheld makes a reappearance when lister and the cat are doing their two-hander scene so yeah it's probably more indicative of the fact that doug wanted to write maroon 2 <laughs> And didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so this was originally the first draft of this script was going to be pretty much a two-hander or a, or a couple of two-handers. It was going to be the bottle episode. Yeah. And it was going to be Lister and Cat stuck in a lift. Uh, and then he sort of came up with the whole Samsara reverse justice field idea, and that kind of took over. Yeah. I think is the. You kind of end up with a series that doesn't really have a bottle episode. I mean, this is the closest you've got, and even then, it's pretty Mm. like, um, you know, it's pretty involved. It's got a whole new set. Yeah, it feels like resources. Like you had obviously big set pieces like Twentica, having having the that big extra set and everything. But broadly speaking, the budget seems to be spread fairly evenly. Mm. There's no no ones that stand out particularly as being more or less expensive. It's no, a, that's probably a point that I've that I will contradict at some point <laughs> later in the series if something comes along that I've forgotten. It's a shame that these two end up getting vaporized because they've they've really been through a lot. They've had to um, dodge a load of uh, asteroids while they were escaping from the ship. They had to like really like quickly go left and right. They didn't have any blasters <laughs> or anything, and um, there wasn't even any health packs dotted about. They just had to get through, and, <laughs> and they did in the end. But you know, it was all for nothing. <laughs> Well, you say they did in the end. It depends on proficiency of the player. <laughs> of the player yeah, yeah. At the time, I think a lot of people um, d- didn't manage to do it. Some very interesting use of, uh, use of footage for the uh, for the signal of just cutting together some dialogue of her saying something else and then making it sort of slightly sync with the uh, the dialogue. Interesting. Does that suggest a decision made in the edit? I think it was just purely voiceover, and then obviously someone's decided to. Uh, Actually, <laughs> what's that? Sorry, set? Everyone's, everyone's distracted because they just saw me on webcam trying to fight a wasp that <laughs> <laughs> has flown into this, my room. This commentary might derail. I'm pretty sure I just heard <laughs> Seb go really at um, at some ice cream falling. Yeah, down. It, was, it was either Seb or Jez, I think. Yeah, <laughs> That's a good job Seb didn't see this wasp, otherwise he'd be terrified. <laughs> There's an in-joke from 15 years ago, ladies and gentlemen. And there's a this blob <laughs> that came off the ice cream just then. I'm not sure if that was added in in it was an a- post. <laughs> a CG it's so blob. well-timed. It was no an accident on the, ti- at the, ni- on the night. 
I seem yeah. to remember. Anecdotally, I remember people saying that it just happened, and um, it was mashed potato, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah what did he said it was spray. Uh, I called it spray stuff or spuff, <laughs> <laughs> which was a great word for it. So while Craig is like spuffing himself on his book, um, this is actually like God. Like th- mm. this is this is basically an episode of like maybe four different two-hander scenes. So you've yeah. got mm. they've got their two at the start, and then you've got Lister and Cat and Crichton and Rimmer later on on the ship. But th- this is this is actually really really nice. I think this is like the closest maybe that Modern Dwarf has got to that kind of uh, that feeling of the first couple of series. Uh, it, yeah, it seems to flow quite well. I mean, it's not like drop dead funny, but it's. I think it's the fact that it's not just like the location. It's the same because that was always the thing of like in series eight. It was like, yeah, the bunk room scenes are back, but they're they're not very good. <laughs> it doesn't matter that they're just in a bunk <laughs> room. A That's bunk not room. what makes yeah. it funny. The subject matter is kind of the same as they'd have in the early series, like them sort of analysing their positions in life and and how life is going for them, and sort of being competitive around it, and obviously Rimmer being the having to be the worst off than everyone else it feels very series one and two dynamics as well as the location and they're arguing about um something that's specific to them being in the in the bunk room as well it's like why are you eating ice mm. cream in bed uh, but I, yeah. I i mean i eat ice cream in bed <laughs> fuck you remember but yeah <laughs> it, the, the the location as well uh, more handheld let's say rumor pulling a charm eater again yeah <laughs> There's a lot Same of, joke, effectively. There's many, many sort of like you could you could kind of like put a little uh, referenceometer for like every. Mm. This episode's kind of quite packed with the uh, potential references to other episodes. You've got the end of the pile of you know the pile of Lots. bodies vaporized, and you've got yeah, you've got uh, like maroon, marooned with the thing, and you've got you know there's lots of it does evoke those kind of those episodes, but so quickly that it's it feels overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, it's not so much a, a, that it's derivative of those things. It's just <laughs> I. And I'll be honest it? with you, I didn't see this joke coming at all when it <laughs> happened. And Rimmer slightly makes it. Sneeze. <laughs> you can imagine Lister is one of those people. You know, you know the sort of person that. I mean, I think me and you are that sort of person here who, like, when they sneeze, they fucking sneeze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everyone has to know about it. <laughs> Lister's definitely one of those people. Another really nice shot. So, I mean, are we dealing with a mixture of... sneezes. <laughs> yeah, it's good bubble <laughs> shot. Another classic bunk room scene. Um, so that's a model, isn't it, of the, the Samsara as a model, and yes. we're mixing in some bits of CG, perhaps. Like, it's, it, it all gets a bit murky, doesn't it, around this time? We're not entirely sure how everything kind of everything everything goes through a pass I guess if yeah. um, like if physical model shots will have uh, will be augmented in post in whatever way and this is the most sort of like uh, not dramatic but the most sort of the, they've really tried to, to to meld the present and the past together yeah. in a way that feels yeah. quite seamless and it's it's in this episode you've got it's to really nice it's really, really nice. good it's yeah. really well done I think it's well directed yeah very much yeah. so and yeah, t- taking a decision like that and doing something distinct is exactly the sort of thing again that you'd really expect with a bottle episode. You can kind of see that the mm. DNA of that. Uh, unfortunately, these are the two. I mean, and I know this is deliberate, but I hate these two. Dan Tetzel is <laughs> is good at portraying horrible oh. characters, but like slightly too well. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It's just unpleasant to look at all the time. But it's unusual. Like there's, there's obviously there are examples, but no more than a handful really of scenes in Red Dwarf that are not to do with our crew, mm. and and especially doing a flashback type thing like that is pretty unique, I think. It's, it's especially <laughs> of, of, of something that's not even like Red Dwarf. Like they're not even of a, of a crew of of our ship. It's a crew of yeah. another ship. So it's, we've done we've ever seen a flashback of another ship. It's the sort of world building mm. really that Red Dwarf fans kind of usually like eat up like it's it's the sort of stuff you get in the novels mm. yeah um and you know love that shit and it, it's the strongest part of this episode i think narratively it's it's fulfilling the same kind of role that um flashback type sequences have in the novels of filling in the backstory yeah telling the audience what's going on sort of ahead of our characters figuring it out for themselves yeah this Scene is the reason that it's that the DVD is a fifteen. I think I'm right in saying because hmm. skeleton's having a blowjob. Interesting yeah. hill and to die on. There's a yeah, there's a, a fair amount that gets chopped around in the pre wars It should repeat, but quite a lot of it still stays in. I think there is an. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, there was an article on the edits in series eleven, uh, and it shows you yeah, some shots. I think were cropped, or and oh, others were lost altogether. I'd forgotten about that. So again, so it, it, it's trying to be marooned so hard that it is also the reason that the series is a 15. <laughs> In a few years' time, they're going to have to do a Samsara extended with a model shot at the Just end. Just a model shot of Samsara for 15 seconds at the end. Of it. <laughs> this is this is good. I do you know what? The, what surprised me rewatching this earlier is that the, the central kind of mystery of it and the reveal and how it all hangs together is surprisingly um surprisingly i'm sounding like an asshole but it's it's actually really holds together very well basically is what mm. i'm yeah. trying to say which is not something i rem- i remember it being a bit of a mess but really what's a mess is some of the ca- is the character stuff in some of the, yeah. the two handers and the actual co- central conceit is um it's a really nice premise yeah it's interesting because it's with Barker and green and stuff it's the for me it's the wrong character's been introduced to the ship that makes the it's it, later on there's a, a, a section where there's literally a line where it makes no sense for that character to have said it because they should have known like yeah. there's, mm. it's definitely a fault of the script rather than you know <laughs> well done Rimmer <laughs> there's nothing in this room <laughs> nothing, nothing at all brilliant <laughs> I've examined it for a whole three seconds as a general rule don't put a, a charity donation box next to a one-armed bandit. <laughs> <laughs> Mixed messages. Because <laughs> it's just asking. It's just asking for trouble, isn't it? Really. But again, yeah, this is nice. Like, because you know, something's a bit off, but we have yeah. no clue what it is right now, and it's it's kind of all there for you to like yeah. say, "Oh shit, this is reverse <laughs> justice." Like, yeah. you could come yeah. to that conclusion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think you do. It it, uh, it unfolds slowly. You're not hit around the head with it. Yeah, you're allowed. To, there's a few incidents, and I think by the end of this scene, you ought to have figured it out. Um, I think was it Simon Peel that said that that machine that that, that is meant to be used the food disposal is an X-ray um, scanning device. Ah, yeah, it's an X-ray scanning machine. It's like it's the machine that produces the X-ray uh, films. Oh, like a a, a printer. Yeah, basically. Like the one that processes the... <laughs> That's good. 
<laughs> that was good. That was a good, a well directed. Yeah. <laughs> like Red Dwarf doesn't really do kind of squicky stuff usually. They usually kind of try and avoid it, but they. It's you know, they... it's something that gets wheeled out rarely, and when it is, it is impactful. Yeah. There's blood on the knife as it pulls yeah, out that's, as well. Yeah, that's an interesting take. <laughs> Sinister normally... detail. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you wonder. Like, we always joke about Rob being the um, sick and twisted one. <laughs> but you know, I'm sure a lot of that department. came from Doug. Yeah. If that had been Rob, they'd have twisted the knife before pulling it, <laughs> and it would have been in his bollocks. <laughs> I was about to say directly through his penis. <laughs> Very possibly. <laughs> Doors are double sealed. It's all right because. Shit. Um, well, Rim has forgotten his password, but it's okay because um, some of the questions that it asks, they're fairly easy questions, so you should be able to answer those um, without much issue. Every time you do this, uh, <laughs> this uh, I always, it takes me a minute to remember what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the sign of a really it's good joke, is conceit. no one knowing what the fuck I'm talking about. It's brilliant. <clears throat> we'll put a link in the show notes again. Yeah, because no one fucking watched my second one. I got 15,000 <laughs> views on my first one and no fucker watched any of the others. They're talking about the Red Dwarf mobile game. <laughs> Surely you've not forgotten that. <laughs> this, is where, this is where things start to kind of fall, fall to bits a little bit. Yeah. I think... It, it, well, not quite. Once you, get on, once you get into the main conversation with them about Archimedes and all that lot. Yeah. That's, Craig does yeah. good... Uh... That sounded a lot worse on the recording. I remember being like, visit, and that sounded a lot worse. Like he'd actually hurt himself because there was a I'm lot more acting. stuff getting moved around than they were expecting. Do all me on stunt. I like the fact that it's a double ball. Yes, it's always, it's always good. It's like Bill Bailey. Always reminds me. That's exactly what I was going to say. There's a bit in Black Books where fell off my chair Bill Bailey falls off, a, <laughs> falls off a chair, and then as he's standing up, he falls down again, yes. and that's the, what makes it double whammy. It <laughs> make, makes a lie of the rule of three, doesn't it? Really, it's like, it's like one of those. Yeah, the rule of twos. Just like <laughs> you're expecting a third. Third would have overmilked it. It's been fine. But if if the number two is so unexpected, yeah. which can happen as you get older. <laughs> It was too dark to use just one glow stick, so they had to do this <laughs> the holding yeah. of two, so you can see the mouth and the eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it's not very what you do weird. in real life. Who does yeah. that? <laughs> Cat doesn't need him. He's fucking good enough to see. He didn't need them. He doesn't. I tell you who does that. About 400 people at Dimension Jump in um, 20. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the skeleton. There's always, there's always a, a tradition of glow sticks being provided on Saturday night and then when this episode came out it was like, oh we've retroactively got a reason for that yeah <laughs> and it wasn't just that one year we accidentally ordered twice as many as we thought we needed to no of course yeah not. any any accusations that the fan club slipped Doug some money to write this in to use <laughs> up those glow sticks is uh, is purely accurate bollocks <laughs> uh what was this um, this engine coiling from? Was this from like an unused pilot or something? I'm sure, it was from a. We got told this when we went to a set. We went to a set visit and we managed to see this thing, and somebody mm-hmm. told us it was from a, a film that had been. What the car a TV show that yeah the big the big cowling thing. Uh, no, I, oh, I don't, I don't know. It makes sense that they've, they've stolen it from something, but this is a series where they were filming um, 
Force Awakens next door, right? Yeah, the mm. resume one of the yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. And in the science room there is um a kind of a, a, a medical bed from from Prometheus. From Prometheus, yeah, which mm. was a few years before. So it could be could be There would have been something that was hanging around Pinewood. Yeah. Craig says Craig claims in, in, in the Comic Con panel that he stole something from the set of um um, Force Awakens, which to me sounds like a nice story that is a, a lie, <laughs> but he does say that he stole something. Oh, he is from Liverpool. Yes, I stole the entire Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> Scrumping for Tie Fighters. <laughs> so this is yeah this this whole thing about the, the camera and, and, and mentioning Justice World as an actual yeah. reference that's quite an interesting thing to do. Like there's it's. It's unusual to tie in actually with a you know with an actual pinpoint rather than just I guess alluding. it's similar to in um in Cassandra uh we remarked upon when they said you know this is a bit like future echoes was yeah. mentioned in the dialogue that felt a bit weird this though. time it feels like more of a more like equivalent to what emo hawk is to polymorph yes where it's it's a sequel of sorts it's like well that was the original idea and here's what happens you know if you add this extra element to it yeah is Doug saying something about like what's this whole thing about a company having moral standards and enforcing mm. them to a ridiculous degree feels like it should be saying something about something and I can't quite figure it out like maybe it's more <laughs> like, a, like maybe a Disney sort of a thing or like you know yeah, uh, I don't know oh Megacore they refer, that was the bit where they refer to Megacore hmm uh, which was sort of seeding something for Series 12, except by the time Series 12 came along, it had changed to M-Core. M-Core. <laughs> well, it had been bought out by IBM. Yeah, they've gone through a rebranding <laughs> pretty recently. But yeah, he does. He meant this is the, that's the scene where he mentions. He says, "There's a Karma drive on board." Like he was, the, he's the already existing member of that ship. He should fucking know that. Yeah, they would have. That's what annoys something. me a little bit. Oh yeah, it should have been the other way around. It should have been the other way around. So it should have been he, she if he was, was the newbie. new member of the ship. Then that would have been fine. Because yeah. then he'd have discovered there's a camera driving board, and that's why. And she should have known better. But you know, I just want to have an extramarital affair. I just, I just think it's it's it's, it's weird how just he doesn't know. Yeah, you're right. There. It's just it's, it, 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 that really throws me that that bit. Logic doesn't follow. Again, this oh, this the thing about this is all about with like labouring or making oh, making ridiculous amounts of of <sighs> mentions. Like, if the concept of Sydney series Rosenthal, eight, I was like that really pisses me ridiculous. off. That it's just it's such a fucking stretch. A Listerd was not know who fucking Sydney Rosenthal <laughs> is. He doesn't know that he's the fucking he inventor of the magic marker. He does. Like, he no knows, one does. Only fucking Wikipedia knows that. And I think it's the only thing written about him, right? <laughs> <laughs> If the concept of a Series 8 joke was extended to an entire scene, that's what this scene would be. It's like, the cat says, who's that inventor beginning with R? For the joke to work, there needs to be a really famous inventor beginning with R. Yeah. So it was like... Uh, I mean, isn't there a if, if the joke was that beginning with E, he'd say, oh, Edison, Thomas Edison? Yeah. No, he said, no, he because said that's... Al- Einstein, as in Albert Einstein? Like, yeah. like that would have been what. But then again, even in this episode, which is an hour, which is the next one after. Actually, I'm getting quite an odd about this. Um, but <laughs> but Einstein is uh, mentioned in the previous episode, and, and Albert Einstein. Oh, you don't know who he is, and he says Alan Einstein in this. So it's like it's like just 
Hell yeah. There's also... Ellen um, Einstein. Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's also the problem where... However, it was shot in the opposite order. I so, don't care. Uh, <laughs> Samsara was the fifth recorded and Twenica was the sixth. So Bones. in the original broadcast, that would have made sense, but because they changed it. The, okay, the, the, the problem with this as well is that the gap between him saying what is the famous inventor beginning with R... And then when he has to deliver the punchline of it's Archimedes, he has to repeat the entire setup in the sentence just mm. before he reveals that. So, oh, I, I got it. The inventor that I know that it begins with R. It's like, it, yeah, it's so yeah, unwieldy. Yeah, yeah. It's laboured as fuck. <laughs> it's interesting to note that the, the cast and crew love this scene, though. It's, I think it's because they got one. to have it's fun like, doing it, but like, yeah, it's more fun it's to a, do than it is it to watch. It's always a good thing to perform, for yeah. sure. Mm. But yeah, the way they talk about it in the documentary is like, oh yeah, we were really proud of this one, and it made me feel a bit bad. <laughs> it made me feel a bit guilty for ripping it apart so much when I did the review. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's not. It, it requires so many leaps. Yeah. And also, it totally feels like a sketch. It's like this could be any two characters yeah. having this conversation. There's nothing about Lister or Cat in this dialogue. Yeah. It's just generic, um, stupid person and straight man. I mean, for the night, the, the for the for the audience reaction, the knighthood thing works, but it is to get there is such a fucking stretch. <laughs> a special hat to wear at night to keep your head dry. It's like what the fuck, like it's a cryptic crossword uh, clue of a joke. Really this, is. Yeah, there's a, there's a structure to this to this scene that it's like it's. I mean, this this is like the definition of it feels like a first draft scene. Doesn't it? I mean, it might not be. Like, I, you know, I could not know that. But like, yeah, th- this is a scene that you then go out again and say, okay, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to cut out and move around here to make it work, and then it would work, because there's there's the, the stuff before all the inventor th- things happen is is good dialogue between them. Yeah. It's it's good funny stuff, and then it falls down with that bit. It's almost like just that bit needed. It's some the more same attention. problem that's in Duck Soup when it's like a hurricaney water-drying, hurricane kind of noise. And I was like, water-drying is not a fucking thing, mate. That yeah, is it's not... not it's, it's, it's not... Just a... un, it's it's, it's, it's um, obsolete dialogue. It's not... It, it just you'd cut that out and you'd be better for it. And it, it's, it's, just, it's just more fat to trim, basically. I don't know. I'm not handheld. Right. I don't know what I don't know how this works. But all, all I know is that what, I, what, is, what I've been presented with, I'm not enjoying, so... <laughs> <laughs> The episode is great, just that one scene just kills the fucking plot dead, it just stops the... It does, and it's such a shame, because I think without it, the whole thing is absolutely fine. Yeah. I think when it's Good. like here, I like them figuring out that it's opposite. Uh, although they get to it a bit slowly, I think, but uh, you know, in terms of the audience, have already figured that out long before. But it works. Yeah, it's good. There it's it's go. a way, it, it the the reveal isn't laboured really at any point. I mean, maybe it's laid on a bit thick here. Look at that handheld. Like God, when you mention it, it really does stick out. <laughs> um, but the the fact as well is that that conversation with the cat is framed as um, a punishment given to Lister for being nice, mm. and that doesn't really fit either because everyone, all the other punishments have been immediate and extreme, whereas ah, oh, just yeah. having a mildly irritating conversation with a friend isn't that extreme. I mean, you you all have to deal with that on a weekly basis. It's not that bad. <laughs> leave your leave your spouses. Just stop it. Well, ca- karmically, is that better or worse? I mean, 
Yeah, probably. <laughs> because because <laughs> then you're not str- you're not you're not stringing uh, along. You're cutting out the leaving, line. Leaving someone is better than cheating on someone. Although I do like the way Mega Service delivers. Have you tasted the fit? I hate that fake retching. Um, it's a pet hate of mine. That's something, it's something I can do quite well. Oh, no. <laughs> I do hate that line, though. I am a computer scientist, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm a computer scientist. The most um, general and non specific. Um, description you can have for anyone that works in computers basically they're a computer scientist like it means nothing <laughs> that's most people yeah yeah exactly <coughs> i use computers in my job how do you <laughs> they've got computers like that when you dialogue where you know in the in the first episode of something or early on in a film where someone's on the phone and says hi sis mm-hmm. no <laughs> But I'm your brother. Why did you? No one ever says that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this ending, because we're at the ending now, it always struck me as a bit rushed. Mm. Although only by the standards of thus far in series eleven does it feel rushed, <laughs> because <laughs> there are far more egregious examples coming up in future. Oh Wolfcast. yes, <laughs> <laughs> but. I always felt like it seems like it's building up to a scene where they have to escape the samsara, but can only do so by being yeah. bad. Yeah. So you, you'd have a comedy sequence where they're going along the corridor, and if you know one of them holds the door open, then a bit of ship crashes around them. Or if one of them pips the other one to get to the door, then they all get through. Type thing. Yeah. Yeah. But instead, they seem to set that up, and, and Crichton says something like, "We need to get back to Red Dwarf, and we need to be need to do be really careful." And then they don't, and then it just ends. Yeah, <laughs> it just feels like there's a scene missing. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not that it's a rushed ending in and of itself on a technical level. It just feels like the story it, it, hasn't quite finished yet. It's like there's a climactic idea that just isn't, just wasn't thought of. He just could, couldn't quite get there. Because if it, if it, was there, it happens it off be, screen, yeah, it could be. A, it could have been a classic scene. Or do you remember the you know immoral escape scene where you know they had to make yeah. this decision or that decision? Speaking of, do you remember? I mean, why the fuck is Cat pointing out about the cars? Why did yeah. the cat give a shit? Like, surely <laughs> I mean, Rimmer is hard light and could easily have picked them out and found them himself <laughs> and uh, could have done that. But now they had to be the cat for some reason, and I don't get it. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Not it just doesn't labor. work, guys. It just doesn't fucking work. <laughs> Not to belabor the game point so much, but um, at the very end of that, you um, this you have more of an ending to the episode where you are escaping, and it's, it has a cutscene says we need to escape immorally, etc., etc. And cut to a repeat of the game where you're piloting Starbug and having to shoot asteroids out of the way and go through tunnels to get away. And all the way through, you have Rimmer helping you and the cat complimenting your flying. So both yeah. both of them being nice to you and completely <laughs> going against what they because you would have still been in the you know the field. Um, yeah. Maybe that was the plan that you know in order to get the complete story you had to play the game to get the yeah. <laughs> extra final scene. Uh, six months after the episode. Uh, yeah, that was the snag. <laughs> they, they released Twentica the first part on the you know the same day or the day after it aired yeah. I think. Uh, and we assumed it would be a weekly update, and then it was like three months later. 
and we didn't even get to the end. There's definitely a, an interesting story there that might ha- occur in a few years. Who knows? But... Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, have to see if anyone cares. What's interesting about this episode is that when I watched it, because I watched it earlier just to kind of refresh my brain before it, because it has been like New Year and it's been a long time since I've actually seen it the first time, which I don't know if that says more about me than it does about Series 11, but when I watched it, I was pleasantly surprised that it was better than I remembered it being, mm. but then the same problems annoyed me just as much, if not more. That's that's the, that's went, what I'm taking away from it. It's it, it, You I, went through the same journey. As you did initially, I think so. Yeah, it's like the direction and the cinematography and the the way they were, you know, using the 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 set as a as a as a way to play with time was great, and the the you know the plot itself makes some sort of sense. There's there's a nice mm-hmm. idea in that, a nice sciencey idea, and it kind of still evokes the justice field and all that kind of stuff, and it's it's all right, but just there's too many there's too many script problems with it that just take all that away, and it's really frustrating to to like be so close to kind of it being like great and it just isn't yeah. because it's pulled back by it feels like a bit of a wasted idea yeah and i feel like that central list of cat conversation is such a drag it sort of disproportionately affects the episode i think because like you know in terms of the amount of time it takes it's you know probably like a tenth of the episode Kills <laughs> or, the pace you know, probably dead. slightly more absolutely dead. but yeah it just stops everything in its tracks and it feels because the dialogue is so contrived, it just feels like it takes longer than it does. It feels like a bigger chunk when you think about it, and then when you watch it, you're surprised at how short it is. Because I always remember what, because I was in the audience for this one, and I remember that going on for quite a while, and me thinking, God, they're not going to use all that. And it was like, wow, they actually <laughs> did use all of that then. Bloody hell. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's a stretch. I don't know. <laughs> Great. I don't want to seem ungrateful. I, I, I enjoyed the experience, but just, yeah, it was just, I've got the same problems I had with it when I first watched it, which is that. Nice idea, executed strangely. Nice video. Shame about the plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had the exact same. Like, I'd forgotten. I knew that I had a low opinion of Samsara, a lower opinion of Samsara. But then, reminding myself today, rewatching it, and I went through the exact same journey I did on broadcast, where I was really kind of like, "Oh, this is this is a good episode. This is funny. There's some really good bits here." And then. And then getting smacked in the face with that scene and the disappointment towards the end was just like, oh fuck, I remember now. Yeah, because I, <laughs> I, well, I, I remember seeing the because the, when you told us about it, it was the second worst episode. I was like, oh, that seems a bit harsh. And then now I've gone through it. I was like, oh, ah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of worm saves it for ignominy. Ignominy. I, I can't see how it's worse than in my head. Like Captain Rimmer is interesting because I can't see how that's worse than that one. But we'll get to that. Oh, interesting. I quite like Captain mm. Rimmer. I can't remember it. Oh, this is the thing. I thought oh, I knew yeah. Samsara until I watched it again. So, you know. We'll For some see. reason, I can't. I can Rimmer never remember the really ending of Captain Rimmer. It's almost like there isn't an ending. Officer Rimmer. Oh, sorry, shit, Officer Rimmer. What the so, fuck? I mean, this is how bad it is. There's like, we just. <laughs> Ian's been waiting on that for ages. <laughs> I said it already. Oh, <laughs> Neither of you heard. That's. Um... Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> on the podcast, it's going to be oh, me increasingly angry saying Officer Rimmer. It's Captain Bollocks. That's what I'm getting confused with. Captain, yeah, yeah, Officer Bollocks. Officer Bollocks. Bollocks. <laughs> this week we've had enough. We've had enough people shooting their mouths off about Red Dwarf who are ill-informed. We don't need to be uh, <laughs> adding to it. <laughs> well, you say that, uh, but now it's time for the return of the section where we take your requests as to what Red Dwarf topics uh, you'd like us to discuss or questions you'd like us to answer. And so we're going to delve into suggestions done by our, our followers and readers and listeners 
because it's time for ah so you're a waffle, waffle man. man so thanks to everyone that has uh, sent questions in and suggestions once again for waffleman we uh we have a spreadsheet that's got them all in and we will get around to them all eventually for example uh, there's one from uh, Nikki Hutchinson, which is a really good question, but it requires us to do a, a bit of uh, research first. We need to watch uh, something on, <laughs> on one of the DVDs in order to answer it properly. So we're putting that on the back burner until we can be bothered. But in the meantime, here's another one that's been in the in the queue for a while. Cy Bromley, more of an anecdote than a question, but let's go for it. He says, many years ago, 2002 to be exact, I asked Chris Barry an important question at Dimension Jump. Sadly, I don't remember his answer. I may have a recording on cassette, but it's a question that I feel invites discussion. That question, chaps. Gary Prince, why? It's a good question. And I should admit something at this point, which is that Sai has sent this clip and I haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> oh, I did. He sent the clip through, but the quality of it is so poor that I couldn't okay, make, so you out couldn't make anything word. out. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I've listened to the clip and you really can't make anything out. So um, <laughs> just cut, cut to that. Yeah. So we, obviously he's talking about Prince Among Men, which. I Gary have Prince, yeah. Not seen ever. I have. I remember recording it all uh, on VHS when it went out because obviously brand new Chris Barry sitcom. You know, he'd yeah. quit Red Dwarf and he'd quit uh, the British Empire. So whatever came along next had to be good because <laughs> why would you why would you leave those two brilliant sitcoms to go and make something that was shit? But lo and behold, uh yeah, it was he played Gary Prince, who was an ex footballer turned entrepreneur. Um, so he was kind of like working class kid come good and he was now mega rich uh, owned his own company he was like sportswear and various little bits and bobs and he was kind of like a really shit Dell boy I guess of trying to be a, a wheeler dealer uh, uh, and it was like it was always him and his mate who was his former agent who's now his business partner um, and there was like a, a posh guy that worked for them who did all the actual work and Gary would come in and, and fuck things up and he was always at odds with his glamorous wife as well uh, but they forgot to put any jokes in the fucker Yeah, it was just really poor it sounds like he's a low rent Britus again really doesn't it I mean that sounds kind like of, Britus yeah. Yeah. The Brit- yeah fucking things up at work but with the added thing that because he's rich yeah. he's kind of untouchable and he just coasts through life and doesn't realise that he's causing chaos because he's surrounding himself with yes men and, and you know he just doesn't I mean there's a whole I'm trying to remember any specific episodes. Uh I'm struggling a bit. There was one where he thought he was gonna be on This Is Your Life and he went through the whole episode like expecting Michael Aspel to pop out <laughs> at various points and he never did. Until right at the end, Mike Aspel does pop out, but it's someone else's This Is Your Life that he just happens to be there for. I was gonna... And there was quite a good bit of Chris Barry face on that bit where he's, you know, he's doing the, oh no, what a terrible surprise, you've got me, and then realises that it is not his This Is Your Life. <laughs> I was going to say, the whole uh, concept is so zeitgeisty of that of a very particular point in the 90s of just like the rise of the, like, the super rich footballer. Which was only yeah, a fairly modern ph- phenom- phenomenon, but, th- yeah, but then you I mentioned think... <laughs> fucking "This Is Your Life," and that cements it even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the concept was that it was his business acumen, to whatever level, had made his money rather than because he was a footballer from the sort of seventies, eighties, oh, where footballers weren't mega rich, so he wasn't like a Premier League footballer. He can you know have an average career and be a millionaire. He was supposed to be like a, a he was a scouser as well. I always thought of him as like Emily Hughes, basically. Okay, yeah. 
that type of level of ex-footballer. And in fact, I think, I think I'm right in saying that part of the backstory is that he used to be a captain on Question of Sport. So that's probably where I've got the news <laughs> well, connection from. Maybe there's a bit more of a connection there than just your perception of it. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe that's explicit, a little bit now. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> but no, yeah, it ran for two series uh, on BBC oh, One, uh, remarkably. Uh, at a time when the BBC was a lot more lenient with comedies and often gave comedies a second chance. But having said that, it started off um, a sort of uh, evening, midweek evening, sort of 8.30 type slot. Um, and there, that was the whole of the first series. second series started like that, and then halfway through the second series they moved it to uh, like Sunday lunchtime. So it was that was the real vote of confidence, and then after that, it didn't get recommissioned. Moving it around in the schedules to give the other shows a chance, <laughs> and consequently, I think I missed an episode on my recording because I was expecting it to turn up. It you know Tuesday. Yeah, that's really going to fuck with Video Plus, and that yeah. would, probably would have been the way you were setting up your recordings, wasn't it? Uh, we, we, we weren't. We weren't posh enough to have Video Plus, Mr. <laughs> Fancy Pants. <laughs> I never had Video Plus either. Uh, but we used to look at the numbers in the Radio Times and dream. <laughs> yeah, like you the Argos catalogue. Luxury. <laughs> My old man had a Betamax. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I do remember semi-fondly about it, though, is it had quite a good theme tune, uh, which went, Here's a winner, here's a star, here's a prince, a prince among men. That was it. It's quite short. Yeah. Yeah. There was more to it, but I can't remember the rest of it. Oh, right. And there's a title sequence where he was climbing up a big ladder in the sky, which I think was some sort of metaphor. I don't know. (laughs) It sounds (laughs) fucking mental. (laughs) It's not. I've made it sound far more interesting than it was. It was a a bog-standard, mid-tier to shit-tier BBC family sitcom. When you described his entourage, it was like... Like, man, you've just heard that a million times before, haven't you? Yeah. Like, that exact same thing. It actually reminded me a bit of, uh, brought to mind, the fuck was Johnny Vaughan's um, uh, vehicle? Oh, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but it also had Ricky Grover in it. Yeah. It fucking yeah, played yeah. Ricky Grover. Um, was it horrible? Horrible. 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 It was. I still watched it though. Why did I watch it? I, I seem to remember watching more than one episode. I think I really liked Johnny Vaughan at the time because I was a big breakfast fan and it was his big breakfast. And it had a Red Dwarf connection. Yeah, well, I guess. <laughs> I was just looking at the um, Wikipedia for Prince Among Men because I remembered that the guest cast was you know, relatively, not the guest cast, but the, the non Chris Barry cast. Yeah. His foils were, some of them went on to better things. Uh, one of them was Cliff Parisi, uh, played his best mate. He was later in EastEnders. Uh, for quite, he was Minty in EastEnders, quite a famous character. And then Call the Midwife, and he was on I'm a Celeb last year. And you also had Timothy Bentick, who is big in the Archers, but he's also he was in um, uh, The Thick of It. Uh, he's been in a lot of comedy stuff. And uh, Brian Pringle, who is a bit of a you know far too high caliber to be in this <laughs> program. Really, Brian Pringle's a good old proper old Legit. school character actor. He was sort of yeah, he was an older gentleman at the time, but yeah. Yeah, Brian Pringle, he appears in the uh, advert for Heineken, playing the elocution teacher who's trying to teach the woman to say, the water in Mallorca don't taste like oh, what it ought to. Right. <laughs> nah, look with airport. Here <laughs> yeah. we have some different waffles. Yes. A question from Tom Worsley. Uh, would a prequel work? Rimmer and Lister's origin story, ending on Lister singing as he pushes the trolley behind Rimmer. No. I would be 
obviously wary of that because it would involve recasting a young Lister and Rimmer, uh, which would you know you get into what was it Rock and Chips, the um, Only Fools and Horses prequel that no one wanted. Well, here's the thing though, because the Philip Laby, the guy who plays um, young <laughs> Rimmer, would be spot on if they're going to recast. If yeah. they're gonna, not going to recast, but if they're going to cast a younger Rimmer. He'd be top of the yeah. pile, surely. I don't know who you'd cast for younger Lister, but I'm sure there are people out there who would do an amazing job. I think. I think it's just yeah, it, it, it's tricky. Here's a thought, right? Like it, we're, we're tw- let's say we're in 2040. Okay, the world has rebuilt itself. The cows are dead. Time. The cows are dead. <laughs> there's no such thing as salt, etc., etc. Yeah. Et exactly. Like there, there, there's no chance. Like Red Dwarf is still really fondly remembered. It's got, a, it's got a very large fan base. A lot of people are still watching it on, um, on Dave or whatever exists. Then, like, do you, do you do Space something? Dave. Do you like? Because obviously, it's not an option to use the original cast. Do you do something with the, the property? Dead. Yeah, exactly. They're all dead. They all died of, of COVID twenty five, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> but but people are hungry for more Red Dwarf. Like you, yeah. you do, you recast, don't you? You absolutely restart Red Dwarf, like with with um, Richard Naylor writing it. I don't know, <laughs> Lily Grant writing it. Do you rewrite Red Dwarf, or do you branch it off into another stream? Do you take yeah. the same universe and? Have a run parallel, or do you uh, run... different characters? Yeah, yeah. different Maybe. characters in the same universe. I always thought the Oregon with Mac would have been quite a cool idea to sort of like the Oregon being a ship that that Mac that Hollister was part of, and it's like you could do backstory on those kind of those those ships and, and investigate like what actually happened with the rabbits, that kind of stuff. So instead of a instead of an origin story, it's an Oregon you want story. An Oregon story, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, on the other hand, we have been in the uh, in the book club dwarf casts, which we're doing alongside these waffly commentaries. Mm. We have been saying, "Ah, oh, someone make Infinity, yeah. yeah, either as a film or as a or as a series." Love it as a series, and so that would be a prequel to Red Dwarf. Yeah. If you did the first half of Infinity, yeah, stretch that out. And that, of course, is the problem with a prequel: is that you could try to strike out and do a completely different prequel, but you'd always be stepping on the toes of the book in a weird way. Yeah. You'd have to We've make a decision. We've already had a great origin story. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, which might not Unless be you're going to do much. that, which is, you know, I am yeah. all, all up for. Which is, which is why I think in, in, you know, in a couple of decades, like, if Red Dwarf as a thing isn't just kind of just basically a line drawn under it and, you know, there's no going concern, you know, someone could come along and, and remake it, and I would like to see what that is if yeah. if they have TV in the care home. Basically, yeah, I get squeamish anytime anyone mentions the possibility of you know, a spin-off, something different, something that's Red Dwarf that doesn't involve the current cast. But I think that will fade in time, as you allude to. I think that you know now is probably I would say no that I wouldn't want something like that. But ask me again in ten years' time if we've had no Red Dwarf in ten years, and there seems to be very little chance of yeah. The current version of Red Dwarf happening again, then say sure. Why who not? knows? Yeah. yeah, yeah. As long as it's not shit, which is always a, a, an inherent risk yeah. of doing anything. So that's not really a, a reason <laughs> not to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, and it's not like um, it's not as if the concept of ushering in like a new generation is always going to be disappointing. Like because pe- people seem to hold the idea as like being um, 
something that's almost always going to be bad like oh you know don't just get like a, you know the next generation in but i mean we haven't seen the film yet but the trailers for bill and ted are looking pretty positive and that's essentially yeah. doing that trick you know um and i'm sure it's been done in other ways in fact actually i'm a big fan of scrub series nine so fuck everyone and I think they did that job quite well. I think some of the new cast brought for that was really were really good. It's just that no one watched it. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so it's, it's perhaps because horrible. it was too close to the original version of script. Yeah, it was. So it was just, just the next series, was like, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, well, it, what's this? Why, is, they didn't, <laughs> why isn't it the same character? They didn't do a clean enough break with Zach Braff and Donald Faison either. That neither of them should have yeah. been in it. Which does actually mean that when you hear about people railing when it went to series three of dwarf you can see why people might have been quite against it because it was mm. quite a step change and quite a difference and there were new people in it that weren't in it before and if you were used to series one and two then three would have been a hell of a fucking shift oh yeah i'm pretty sure i would have not liked series three i don't know yeah i, I don't know it, what I initially think. i would have been like i would have just had a reaction against it i think at mm. the time yeah sort of knee jerk yeah we don't like change yeah we don't even give change Interesting. If there was a prequel to Red Dwarf, then it wouldn't have cat in it. Definitely, there'd be no cat whatsoever. Brighton yeah. would have to be, unless you were, unless you were, you know, messing about with, unless you were changing the backstory. Then unless Crichton it just be there it, it wasn't. It could still be Robert, but it wouldn't be Crichton. I think it could cut to him. It could be another series four thousand mechanoid. Yeah, or yeah, you could also see there could be. <laughs> Like a web series spin-off where it's Crichton's prequel on the Nova Five. <laughs> See, I'd call that. And him, him washing the computer and everything. That sounds all right now. <laughs> I'm mentioning. Yeah. And for Holly, you could have a CG version of Norman Lovett, <laughs> like a deep fake young Norman Lovett. That would be a lot. Of oh my god, deep faking! On... I never even thought about that as a possibility. Uh, let's. You could yeah, hope yeah. that is now a technology that is scaring the shit out of me at the moment. I mean, Disney have been doing it in an amazing way um, for quite a few years now. Essentially, deep faking, which is youngifying their actors, like yeah. Michael Douglas. Yeah, has anyone seen Michael Douglas in their Marvel film? It's fucking yeah. ridiculous. In the Ant Man yeah. film, it's terrifying. Um, they always get that dude mixed up with Michael Howard. <laughs> well, hopefully, I haven't got them mixed. Up. I don't think Michael Howard was um, Ant Man's <laughs> mentor in them. Um... <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I really don't like that idea so much. Like the poor bastard who played um, the, y- your man in Star Wars, Tarkin. I talk about Peter Cushing. Yeah, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of yeah. course, it's fucking Peter Cushing. Jesus Christ, fucking poor Peter Cushing. Like, leave him alone. <laughs> Stop resurrecting him. <laughs> I wonder if there's going to be rules about this kind of stuff. I mean, we're deviating fucking massively, but there is there's a whole thing about like Crispin Glover had the whole problem with yeah. the likeness rights in Back to the Future Two, and then made a, a law against it. So what's the yeah. rule against it's the rights asshole. of someone's face when they're dead? What's the what's the what's the legality there? What's the precedent? I, mean, I assume, self. or you'd hope that their estate or their family had to give permission. But is that the case, or can they just is, decide is, we're going to? Yeah, yeah. Oh, is that yeah, only Marlon, the case? We're going to have Marlon Brando in this film. Just well, do it. yeah, because the Marlon Brando was they did that for uh, Superman Returns. Yeah. They did a yeah. similar thing. In fact, they, yeah, is, they buried it in CG, but they did do it. Is, is it only protected if there was any sort of image rights? negotiations at the time like maybe if there was no image rights negotiations at all then it's assumed that within that production you can just yeah yeah, yeah. so you couldn't just assemble a, a brand new film that had a dream yeah. cast <laughs> that, oh, uh, you know, yeah marilyn monroe and jimmy stewart i've just realized what we are basically stepping on is the idea of a hologram 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> the idea of resurrecting well, yeah. someone and what are their rights? Two-pack hologram at Coachella. A cast full of holograms, and there's one guy who is a, who's a real human, and he's the, he's the <laughs> odd one out. Anyway. Anyway, prequel, yeah, yeah it'd be all right. Go on, then. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Fucking do it. Okay, so let's put a pin in Cushing and move on to uh, <laughs> our final uh, Waffle Men question of the day. Uh, Milo Scat uh, says, I want to know more about the J2ME game, Simulants Revenge. Have any of you played it? Uh, no. I, re- I remember it. I don't think I played it. I seem to remember that the the type of phone required at the time was beyond my capabilities. It's not like today when you know a, a mobile game comes out today. As long as the developers, which you know, ninety-eight percent of them do these days, develops it for both Android and iOS, then basically anyone can play the game. But at the time, this like Simulant Revenge was a mobile game, uh, officially licensed Red Dwarf mobile game that came out in about two thousand and something. Three. Early two thousand and three. Uh, so a mobile game at that time, you had to have a very specific type of phone that was capable of doing Probably it. Probably a Nokia. I think it might even have been specifically. Uh, it Nokia, seems yeah, it? a specific high-end Nokia. Yeah. That you had to have. Was it, it an engage or anything like that? No, it wasn't engage. So I've got the article in front of me that um, from uh, June two thousand three, and it must have come along along uh, along with a lot of that mobile stuff. Oh no, that mobile stuff came in like two thousand six, didn't yeah. it? So this was like their first foray into the mobile side of things, and the actual website isn't online anymore. So I, there isn't actually many technical details. If you but, search um, Simulants Revenge on Toss. Then the original article comes up. The original article is there, but the, the URL exactly. Yeah, a few screenshots there, and it's essentially there's one here with um, Rimmer saying you jammy guy, and you are, look like you're Starbug point, top down shooting asteroids with a laser. So that's a, a Red Dwarf game mainstay, it seems. Um, but yeah, we've got we've got an article on GNT from the time. Someone called Ian Symes um, rounding it up, basically saying, I haven't got a phone that can play this, and complaining about John <laughs> being go. evicted from Big Brother. Um, <laughs> and then two years later, you actually got a phone that could play it, and uh, by that point, it was already offline. Oh. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> there you go. There's the, the little reminder There's of your... <laughs> trip back into my own personal <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, early university <laughs> days. So, I, I seem to remember that I maybe played it for two seconds on someone's phone at a DJ. Like, to 2004, yes. maybe. That rings a bell. Yeah. I remember being a DJ and people are gathering around a tiny, tiny phone. And then you just realise, oh yeah, it's shit. Because like in 2004, you know, you've got real games that you can play on consoles and on your PC. And back then, like the novelty of a game on your phone, uh, it was starting to wear off. In that, like the, the novelty of a game on your phone in 1997, which was basically just a few pixels, Snake, Snake and yeah. things like that, that was incredibly exciting because these were games that fit naturally on the phone in 2003 when you were putting a game on a phone you were basically putting a very 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 poor imitation of a, a game um, and mm. squeezing it into something that just it doesn't fit into it's al- it was almost like the deficiencies of early 3d like in the very first days of 3d you just like this is none of these games are as good as the incredibly polished brilliant 2d games you know from the last 10 years it's like it, it was almost like technology just was in this weird in-between state where it just couldn't really handle the sort of thing that you and so you ended up with just really bad games like there were no good games from that era of mobile phones 
to badly mangle a quote, they were too concerned about whether they could do it to think about whether they should do it. Yeah, it was a bit of a and blind. So those things. Yeah, it was a gold like, oh, we, we can we can make we can make mobile games. We can put this game that looks like this on this phone. Yeah, but I guess the reason Snake endured, uh, you know, beyond the initial novelty was that it was actually a good game. Yeah, it was very very simple and very basic, but the gameplay was good. Yeah. It was built uh, for yeah, the hardware at this stage. Yeah. yeah. And it was also sort of randomly generated as well, which means that every time you play it was different, whether I assume that Silimits Revenge might have run on a seed or something that ran the same every time. There is a video to be made, if if this is at all possible, (laughs) if we can get hold of these old files and a phone emulator Mm. that can run them. I mean, there's literally no one that would have any motivation to do Uh, this. It's just if if there is a copy of the game even that exists. Yeah, exactly. It's something that you know. I find myself, I've mentioned before, and find myself increasingly thinking about like the obsolescence of culture of, of yeah. you know things from the web, mm. uh, pop culture items from this time that have just completely dropped off the face of the earth and basically disappeared. Mm-hmm. But there's no official way of getting this game anymore, even though it's something that was released properly. And I feel like anything that was released now, regardless of the fact that it's a digital distribution, is you know, could well last forever. Anything that was released before, which was a physical media, could potentially last forever. Mm-hmm. Whether there's things like this that fall through the gaps. Yeah, I mean, around this it's time... It's not a huge uh, loss to the world by the sounds of things, but it's a shame that there's this, this official Red Dwarf thing that we know can't... Yeah, that, every, that things do actually have a half-life. Yeah. This yeah. this period of time is actually really weird and interesting for technology in general, because this is this is like the almost like the dead spot when it comes to um, film technology as well, isn't it? Like, I don't know much about this, but this is around the time when there was certain shift away from film over to digital, Mm -hmm. but digital wasn't quite um, in the the right state. And so you've got archiving problems with films made around this time. Basically, they were were shooting on digital video um, and treating it to look like film which was fine, except that they were shooting it in a resolution which is now considered below high definition. Right. Yeah. So there are certain films that were shot around very sort of late nineties, early noughties that are a worse quality than everything that came before. And they can't so they can, can't be four K anymore. Like yeah, the you can films. make a Blu ray you can yeah, yeah, you can print a film print at any resolution, but there's certain <laughs> certain films that just exist in this middle ground. Yeah, this wild west of Technology. It's really interesting because they were just clearly trying to figure out. I mean, mobile gaming will become one of the biggest entertainment markets in the world. And yeah, to see it, its beginnings around this time um, of really properly trying to stretch their legs, it's, I find it really interesting. And as we've already mentioned in this episode, uh, Red Dwarf continued to experiment with mobile gaming in a more enduring and Probably more successful, certainly more enjoyable form yeah. later on. I had a huge amount of fun. So, what is it? What is it about Red Dwarf that is not translating to games? What is it? That's, what is it that's going on? Is it a lack of scope? I have think we, have we just not found the right genre yet? I yeah. think a lot of the attempts to do Red Dwarf games have, have involved taking elements from the series and wedging it into pre-existing formats. It's like. This game was you're zipping around in a spaceship shooting asteroids. Well, that's obviously not anything that's new unless you're... And it's not very dwarfy either, yeah. Uh, And, yeah, it doesn't really feel like a a thing that happens in Red Dwarf. Uh, In the the Series 11 uh, mobile game, you had lots of different types of minigames. 
and therefore some of them worked, some of them didn't. Um, in the Series 12 one, you're just jumping around. Doing repeatable <laughs> like it's a, things. It's a temple run type clone, isn't it? Mm. And that that would you'd class as just taking elements from the series and putting them, and wedding them somewhere else. Like do we we are due an amazing red not due we're not owed anything. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, there is potential for an amazing red dwarf game, but it would have to be something that was its own thing, where you sit down from scratch and it's like, what type of game do we want to make? It would have is to it play an open world thing. Is it a sandbox thing? It's it's really weird because I'm going to mention No Man's Sky now, because that to me is the closest that I've ever seen to a game being a JMC simulator. Because yeah. essentially you are able to... Obviously, it's not a funny game. Like, it's not a comedy game. Like, I, I don't really think comedy games kind of work. Like, unless it's unless it's written to be funny, like Monkey Island or uh, an adventure. Kind of it would have to be an adventure game. It's where an adventure it's game where you've lighting. got... the Where your dialogue is absolutely <clears throat> part of the comedy. Yeah. I mean, there are funny moments in No Man's Sky, but it's all kind of done in, you know, in, in context. But the whole sort of... They've just added a new expansion for No Man's Sky, which allows you to go in and, and raid derelict ships. And it does feel very alien and quite red dwarfy in a way. They're yeah. aliens, but let's skip over that. But basically, mm-hmm. the idea of having an entire universe to play in, and you, you know, you can go in any direction for as long as you want. It's like it does feel the closest to like what a red dwarf game would be like. Like it would have that kind of open world. You can go anywhere, do anything. You encounter stuff as it comes. It does feel like mm. that's the closest that where that I can I can get at the moment to a red dwarf game. Which is probably when, why I enjoy it so much. When it comes to like a specific Red Dwarf game, I mean, it says a lot that probably the most fondly remembered Red Dwarf game is that unofficial adventure one. Yes. Infinity Welcome's Careful Drivers. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, because, because, I mean, that is the strength. I mean, what, what makes Red Dwarf Red Dwarf? It's, um, it's words. It's the dialogue. It's the jokes. Yeah. Um, and so the game would have to reflect that, and that is notoriously incredibly difficult to translate into a game it's already difficult to uh, like adapt a film franchise or tv franchise into a game because again like you're dealing with two mediums that have completely different goals unless you've got something like this is why comic book games or games based on comic book characters have a much easier time of it because comic book characters are action orientated and they have a a gameplay loop already built into them you can say oh i know what the gameplay loop of a batman game is going to be sneaking punching and solving puzzles. Having your parents killed. Uh, yeah, and that that's your loop. And it's exactly the same with Spider-Man. You swing, you go to a place, you beat up some people, and that... But with Red Dwarf, what's a, what's the gameplay loop there? It's, it's, there isn't one. You have, you'd have to have, like, a linear adventure. Yeah, the gameplay loop is basically go go uh, in Starbug, find alien, or find, find you know... Find yeah. Earth-based life form, kill human-based life form. And then, you know, examine complex relationship between uh, last human alive and hologrammatic bunk mates. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you... it's not something that you can't get every element of Red Dwarf in. Yeah. I mean, the I idea mean, what's of like, their Future Echoes is an interesting gameplay mechanic. I always thought that like, there, there's, there's something to be done where you could, t- like, but you would be doing that in blocks. That's the thing. There's no, mm. like, with the, like I said, with the Batman thing, there's, there's a gameplay loop in style, and then that can be anything. Whereas with Red Dwarf, there seems to be elements of a game available but they have to be very specifically boxed into a plot yeah and that immediately sucks the it sucks all the red dwarfiness all the interestingness out of it yeah because, like because what's their day-to-day what what is the crew's day-to-day grind if you kind of saw in between the episodes and that is going to derelict ships 
and salvaging yeah. and but staying it, alive. But then again, that depends on the era. Like that yeah. would be the case for series six and seven. But like Maybe now, not, current no. current setup, I get the feeling that they're just drifting around, waiting for things to happen, yeah. rather than yeah, interesting. No, no, things yeah, happen. Not even waiting for things to happen, just things just happening to them and the camera being on. <laughs> yeah. So I think we've pretty comprehensively like demonstrated here what, why it is actually so difficult. Um, for a Red Dwarf game to, to take hold is because there isn't that obvious concept there and you have to do it in this adventure game and adventure games are incredibly, incredibly difficult to make a good one of because you'd, mm. need, you'd need either the original writer or someone who's very good at doing a Grant Naylor impression. Although I, I would bet that there are people listening well, I wouldn't want to bet Anyone's that, that there are people listening but <laughs> if people are listening then I bet that amongst them there's people that are you know either working games or fancy themselves as working in games who who have got the killer concept in their head mm. of like if I was to do this I know that this would work for Red Dwarf so it's got to be out there it, it can't defy a good game. There's a couple of projects that I need to check up on. There was a guy quite a few years ago and I briefly spoke to him. Man, this is probably more years ago than I care to remember. But he was he was basically he was making a kind of a three D recreation of the ship and, and actually I think in an Unreal Engine and trying to, you know trying to get at least a concept down for a game and I, I wonder at what point that's at right now. Oh yeah. And then also yeah. Uh, yeah, and also more recently there's also a guy who basically in dreams has uh recreated the series one set and that's also got scope for because dreams you can basically yeah. remix things so you can take somewhere else's world and you can add things to it or work with them and, and create assets for it and stuff so there's a whole community about that that could be end up being a game in itself but it would be self-contained within that game only it would not be yeah and as actually since you say that like i mean we were talking you know i was you know talking about kind of core gameplay loops and stuff and like traditional like how do you make a fun game but in recent years, like the concept of the just the exploration game, the you know like No Man's Sky, mm. just just like the chill out game of I'm in this space, and this is something that's specifically quite popular with VR at the moment. Of just um, this game is nothing other than me really existing in this area, and that would be great for Red Dwarf. Being able to explore at least a, even a small corner of the ship—that's all mm. you'd really need. Maybe a, a little bit of mini games here and there on a Navicom. Maybe that's a, maybe make it internalize. Maybe rather than going and exploring derelicts and zipping around space, you're exploring this vast ship that's the size of a city that's got yeah. all manner of things lurking. Oh, secrets. Okay. Yeah. So places it's just never the ship. been. Yeah. Oh, we're going to spit the ball this idea. So basically the idea is that you start off in your sleeping quarters and you can't get out your sleeping quarters because Hoy's locked all the doors outside the sleeping quarters. So you need to go find things in the sleeping quarters to open the door. Once you're in the corridors, right. then you can start fucking expanding and then you can really go further and further out. You can get to the drive room and you can go further on. You can get to the cargo decks and blah, 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 blah. Find out where Hoy's a really good idea is. in this. Right. Things get unlocked as um, as Holly fixes the radiation levels in different areas. So all of a sudden, the second game map opens up halfway through. Yeah, oh, there's, a really in, there's a bit in Portal, like, <laughs> there's a bit in Portal Two where you're the the second third of the game basically where you're bashed down into the into the deep the depths of like the seventies facility, oh, and you're going through that. Imagine mm. going through the, the like the abandoned cat civilization or an abandoned oh, yeah. cat city in the in the Middle part of the All game. the things I wanted to see in the in the books, this is doable. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right, brought it back. That was a, that was a good good brainstorming. Like I, I think we've actually 
we've gone from that's impossible to oh. if anyone wants to jump in on if anyone wants to start this project up or anyone <laughs> yeah, wants please to, do. Actually, it, genuinely yeah uh, i'm really being honest here i would genuinely love to be involved with that um in some capacity might start a thread you do get when you get big fandoms it's basically a collection of um you start to get a collection of very artistic and talented people who all love one thing and so you get these you know fan art and and fan creations that are of really high quality but you only really get it past a certain point of size you get it a lot with song of ice and fire you don't you don't get it it's not as big a thing with red dwarf because the the, the fan size isn't quite as big you do get great art coming out of it and stuff like that but you don't there isn't you're not like you know you you're not surrounded by different game concepts that people are trying to do or different bits of fanfic that people are trying to do. It's just not as... I guess the scales of the fan projects differ. Yes, exactly. Like when, right, you've, yeah. when you've got a bigger fan base, you've got more people to collaborate and you can do bigger things. Yeah, Whereas, you get yeah, past a critical Dwarf mass. Is, yeah. Dwarf is like, there's great writing, there's great fan art, there's cosplay, etc. There's, there's videos and, and photoshopping and all sorts, but yeah. Much smaller scale. Projects. Yeah. So... Look out for that. <laughs> Not sure what our conclusions were there, but that was, uh, that was a good ex- a good journey. We that was on. a good exploration of that uh, 2003 mobile game, anyway. <laughs> it's shit, mate. Which I've never played and never seen. <laughs> um, there was, so, um, very pleasingly, there was a, an animated GIF um, that must have been um, put on TOS at some point, which I can't actually find at the moment, but we have recreated or reposted on the news round from the time and so it just shows a brief bit of gameplay of kind of um shooting the uh the asteroid so there we go we have we we, we have a small show bit notes. of archive yeah yeah the show notes are going to be busy for this one yeah there's quite a lot of things that we've mentioned in this yeah. section that we're going to have to pile into the show notes but uh yeah so below in the description of this podcast uh you'll see links to what the fuck we've been talking like about like and subscribe thanks uh and i think that just about wraps it up for this week's edition of Ah, so you're a Waffleman. Waffleman. Hi, it's future GNT again. Well, present GNT. Well, actually, slightly in the past GNT from the perspective of the listeners, but not as far in the past as the previous past GNT from the past bit of the podcast, though this is hardly the time to go conjugating verbs in the past participle never tense. Put simply, we've had to ditch our original outro because each and every single one of the things we mentioned is now out of date. In fact, there's been some rather intriguing developments in terms of the game stuff we discussed in Waffleman, but more on that on a future date. More immediately, our next Dwarfcast will be a discussion-slash-review of The First Three Million Years, the documentary series which hadn't started at the time of the original recording, but has now finished. And as per Dave's dedication during the first episode, we'll also be paying tribute to our friend Seb Patrick. After that, we'll be resuming the Dwarfcast book club with the final part of Infinity Welcome's Careful Drivers. That will be recorded on the weekend of the 5th and 6th of September. So if you want to contribute to the discussion, please do so in the comments for the previous book club before then. But for now, thanks for listening. Stay safe. And as always, Ed bye everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Goodbye.